You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to another episode of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. There was, of course, some pretty big news this week as the Great Britain senior men qualified for Eurobasket 2022 um, after two huge victories at the weekend over Germany, uh, courtesy of Luke Nelson's game winner at the buzzer. And then France uh, on, on Monday, actually, they qualified before that game. But, you know, let's, let's not give a chance. Uh, let's not ignore a chance to celebrate a victory when, when we've got one. Um, so, yeah, I thought it would be a, a great opportunity to uh, bring Mark Stutel onto the show who has been the acting head coach uh, over the course of the last year, uh, over the course of the three windows um, for the for this qualifying campaign, um, to talk about the experience? Of course, uh, you know he was thrust into the into the spotlight um, when uh, head coach Nate Ranking was not available, um, and so he's kind of been been at the helm uh, for for the entire campaign and. What a campaign it's been! A lot of standout memories, like I just said, the the Lily Nelson game winner, the the turnaround victory over France after suffering a heavy defeat in in the first contest, and of course uh, that memorable home game um, in Newcastle against Germany in February last year. So it was awesome to kind of bring him on, talk about the the experience uh, for him, you know, being put in that situation, which I don't think is easy for anybody. Um, and then, kind of the you know the roles different guys had on the team, and, and sort of how that's been, and uh, the the sort of the coaching, um, the environment, uh, the challenges. Um, so yeah, it was a really enjoyable conversation. I think provided uh, much greater insight into kind of what the national team program goes through and uh, sort of their journey to to Eurobasket 2022. So I think you'll enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Uh, me and Mark go back. Uh, he's been on the scene as long as I well longer than I've been on the scene, but he was uh, at the helm of Northumbria when I first started sort of filming basketball. So it was awesome to kind of get a chance to, to catch up like this. We are going to do a part two at some point where we kind of talk more about his domestic career um, and the history of his involvement with basketball. But this was very much, uh, well, it was 100% exclusively GB focused because I felt like that was more timely at the moment. And this was kind of what I wanted to discuss. So that's what that's what we did. Uh, as always, um, please take two seconds to check out our Patreon account, patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash H-O-O-P-S-F-I-X. There you can to give us a monthly or annual contribution of as much or as little as you would like to help us do the work that we're doing you know for the price of a cup of coffee for the price of a sandwich for the price of a banana uh, you can uh, sign up and give us a monthly or annual contribution to help us do the work that we're doing it goes a long way to help fund these projects um, so please go and check it out uh, patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix as always, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, drop a comment below. Let me know what you think about what Mark had to say and, of course, what you think about GB's qualifying campaign. Um, you can reach out to me on every single social media platform at HoopsFix. And if you prefer some one-on-one interaction, drop me an email, sam at hoopsfix.com. Anyway, uh, that is enough from me. Uh, here is this week's show with Mark Stutel. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sam. Well, first of all, uh, congratulations on qualification uh, for Eurobasket. Like, obviously, a huge uh, weekend. I think that's the obvious place to start. Like, you know, when you look about, when you look over the last sort of year, you've been at the helm of, of the squad and the sort of the journey you've been on. What would you say about you know qualifying for Eurobasket and sort of what it means for for you and the team? Thanks. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, I've been you know overwhelmed. Like, I've been inundated with with messages, um, and I think one of the one of the things that you know within the British basketball community, you realise kind of you know how invested people are, um, and, and 
um, you know, a bit of positivity kind of, I guess, within the within the climate of what's going on at the minute. So I've been genuinely kind of inundated from a range of people that I've had different, you know, cross paths at different points. Um, so, so that's been really, really pleasing. Um, I, I think what it, what it means is, um, I think you can probably see that in the way in which we've been playing. You know, I think I think if you're about to watch what it means to the players, I think, you know, even in in the France game, which uh, you know a dead rubber game or whatever you want to call it, I think you know you could see what it means to to the group and what it means to the to the staff, to the players, to everybody. Um, just we want to be we want to be you know competing consistently in major tournaments. Um, we believe that we've got the you know the talent base to do it. Um, we know that GB has been on a journey, you, you know, and, and, and probably post Olympics and the build up to Olympics and all that type of stuff. So we just probably feel um, we feel that we should be there. We feel pride in being there, um, and, and you know, we hope that we are continuing now to kind of build upon what it means to to, to be a part of GB Men's program. You, you know, we I know that the group probably. Um, you know, sometimes see narrative that's surrounded about it, and you know the women's team has been fantastic in recent years. I, I'm I'm a fan of the women's team. You know, I've been watching what they've done, but we also feel that there's been a different narrative around the men's team, and I think that the players, the group, take that personally. Um, so we're pleased. We're pleased, mate. Uh, for me personally, I think relief is is probably the overarching, you know, the overarching emotion that was there instantly after the first game. Uh, I think relief that we've been able to achieve it. Um, in, in a challenging group with challenging circumstances, um, I think just just unadulterated relief, and then kind of when it's set in, just I, I felt proud of what we've we've achieved, Sam. Um, I think it's been, um, uh, you know, not to try and use cliches, but it, it really has been a journey, you know, in so many so many ways. I think even like I was on the bus on the way to our last practice and I was trying to work out how many days in the past 12 months we've been together and I think it was like 27 28 days of actually contact time within a year um so so you know all of these little things where you know it, it's kind of um you go through the space of like a regular season in such a um I don't know accelerated magnified process so everything becomes I don't know you know under the magnifying glass and and I think at times, you know the the yeah I guess the emotion gets heightened as such. So so when we got the outcome that we wanted, I think you know my my personal feeling was relief, pride, um, and just you know be elated that we're now you know putting ourselves back at a major tournament. Do you feel like uh, qualify qualification was? Um exceeding expectations that were put on you from whether that's other teams you know within within Europe like do you think you know at the start of this when the groups were drawn obviously seeing that you were in a group with you know Germany France uh, Montenegro like do you think it, seeing how it's worked out uh, with you qualifying second in the group do you think that's been a surprise for a lot of people I would say so yeah I would say so you know kind of outside of our group um, I, I would say that that you know, I, um, I think I just yesterday I watched kind of um, you know Vincent Calais' uh, post you know game interview, and he said that we were probably um, we were probably projected to finish last. Um, you know, if that's based on on rankings, um, I felt that there was an opportunity because of the competition format and the consistency that we've had within our group. Um, and, you know, I, I've been a part of this group since November 2018, so I feel like I've been able to actually you know, observe some of the development and some of the consistency. So 
you know, it, cards on the table when the draw was made. I'm looking at the lowest ranked team, Montenegro, and saying, you know, that that's pretty much going to be probably the decider. You know, obviously Germany uh, had qualified already, and I think that the Germans, you know, by their own admission, um, they looked at a couple of younger guys. They tried to bed some of those guys in. They're probably looking at guys that's going to solidify their position for the competition. And France, you know, w w without a doubt, the overarching favourites uh, to win the group. And, you know, I've seen different narratives about is it their B team, is it their C team. Uh, listen, they're, they're, they're ranked six in the world for a reason. And, you know, the FIBA windows, every single team goes through kind of not having NBA or EuroLeague guys. But, you know, that French team had three guys that played at the World Cup in 2019. You know, they added in Thomas Hurtle. <laughs> you, you know, they're... That, that, and then there's probably two or three other guys that I think have played their way onto the final roster. So, um, have we exceeded expectations from the outside? Probably. Um, did we just try and focus on controlling on what we could? Absolutely. You know, the the even the way in which the you know the fixtures worked out. Our first fixture being on the road in Montenegro. Um, I, I was I was so disappointed that that ended up being like a an eight point game, a seven eight point game. Because I felt that you know it was it, 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 at the time I was like even if we'd on the wrong side of, of of a loss by three four points, you know at that point I'm anticipating that we're playing them at home. You know I'm not anticipating that we're going into a bubble situation, and I'm thinking you know that that head to head. Um, so you know for us to be able to overturn the head to head and, and win by fifteen, you know that was kind of the the, the game that 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 before we got into the cycle we were looking at, and then. Um, you know, for us to kind of get the results that we did and finish four and two, I think was uh, a credit a credit to the group. So I think on the outside, people probably didn't anticipate that we would finish second. I think that you know it was always going to be us competing for that last spot. Um, but yeah, just you know, overjoyed again that that we finished where we did. Do you think internally you exceeded your own expectations? What were the conversations you were having with the team, uh, and you heard sort of the team having within themselves about how they expected to do and where they thought they were going to end up? Yeah, we didn't we didn't talk about you know where we we're going to end up. We we would we spoke about qualification. That was always the goal. Um, I try, you know, I don't get it right all the time, but I do try to be really purposeful and, and ex, you know explicit with with communication. Um, and and you know, in every message we spoke about was about controlling what we could. You know, every window we got together, we're kind of opening up with our approach to the window, um, what the opportunities were, you know, and what the challenges were, and how we could do it. And I felt like, you know, repeating and the guys believing and trusting each other and having that consistency within our group. Um, I think we had six guys who played six games somewhere around there. You know, we probably had eight guys who played four games. So, um, yeah, we, we didn't really talk about, you know, final placing or, or we, we wanted to secure qualification. That was that that was the goal. Um, and, and that was always kind of the message within within each window. Um, that That was my approach. Again, it's amazing. You know, I, I'm fascinated with this within coaching about you know a coach's perception and, and players' perception. You know, sometimes I think that that is, um, you know, trying to align those two things can be either you, you know really facilitative or, or it can hinder the groups. Um, so you know, I was always kind of um, I guess feeding off the group as such, but the group were absolutely locked in. You know, throughout every moment, um, I've probably got a million and one different examples of that. You know, no, no one saw the, the Novi before the French game, you know, looking me dead in the eye and telling me, like, you know, we're going to win, coach. And the final buzzer goes and he turns around. He's like, I told you, <laughs> you know, and and I just think that that's, you know, 
that's probably representative of the belief within the group, I think. So, yeah. Do you think uh, the players have, and, and I don't know whether it's something that, that you uh, potentially used in, in team talks and stuff, but whether the players have bought into sort of that underdog mentality and being counted out by everyone and everyone saying, oh, you know, it's GB and the British are crap at basketball and this and that. Like, do you feel like that's something that's sort of allowed them to play with a chip on their shoulder a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure, like absolutely, and and you know we've used that term, we've discussed that term within our within our practices, within our meetings, you know, within any chance we got within our team, we use the term underdog. You know, some of the guys talk about you know when our when our backs are against the wall, we fight. Um, I think understanding you know what British players go through to get to where they are, you know, um, I'm not saying that other countries don't have you know similarities, but I know that. You know, I, I'm. I love the British game. I, you know, I, I have unadulterated belief in the British game, the potential that's inherent within it, and I think that the guys do too. And we'd absolutely spoke about, you know, what what that underdog mentality means and how that transcends into our play. Um, you know, we actually discussed about, you know, sometimes when you're the underdog, it can go one of two ways. You know, you, you can actually. Um, it can actually become counterproductive and you think that you're being victimised and, and you start looking a little bit insular and you start thinking about, well, we're the underdog and, and it, it can kind of tip the balance in being negative at times. The group didn't do that. You know, they, they, they kind of went the other way and went, right, this is the challenge. This is what we need to do to be successful. We're going to fight like hell in being the underdog. We're going to, you know, be together. We're going to share in each other's success. You know, at times we might make the odd mistake. We're not going to dwell on it. We're going to have like a next possession mentality, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna understand about accepting what it takes for the for the for the greater good to qualify. So, yeah, I think I think that mindset um, is is um, really really effective. I think it's shown, you know, shown how we how we play, the pride in which we play. You know, other teams in the group kind of commented on that, um, and I think that was evident with with with, with how we played. Um, and I think the challenge for us now is to continue to develop and, and you know, at, at some point maybe it, it be expectations, you know, not just within our group, but externally expectations that, you know, Great Britain are a staple of major tournaments. And I think that's that's kind of, you know, where we want to get to in the long run. How much of a project, like when you're talking about sort of changing that that perception, like how, how much of a, a project do you think that is like over what period of time do you think that things need to happen for that to change? Like, is it a case of, you know, potentially Eurobasket 2022, you go in, you make knockout rounds and you have a very successful tournament and, and maybe that's enough to, to put GB on the map, you know, permanently where it's like, okay, we're not overlooked anymore. Do you think it's something that, you know, needs to be repeat, repeated success over, over, you know, a number of major tournaments? I mean, that, that, that's it, isn't it? That, that would maybe, you know, look, change that stigma or change that perception, I suppose. Um, I guess the other part of it, there's so many variables, Sam. There, there, there are so many moving parts and moving pieces to to success. And, you know, you look at kind of the depth chart of players that we had, um, and, and that's people that were present within the window and players that, that, that you know, weren't there. Um, you know, so I think that the, the strength of depth that we have in the men's group is exciting. Um, I think for us to be able to kind of be that, that level of, of European consistency, it, it is what you're saying. It's, it's, you know, ensuring that we're there, we're present at every kind of opportunity. Um, I know that the guys are, are literally after the game, they're talking about, you know, the, the, the World Cup qualifiers and how we can kind of hopefully continue to build upon it. Um, 
so yeah, we do want to be we want to be consistently there, and I think that if you can sustain that over a long period, um, you know, it's going to be effective. You know, I think I'm probably biased on this as well, you know, and I'm by no means an expert, but obviously the European um, kind of you know FIBA Europe, in my opinion, is, is is you know the toughest kind of out of all of the regions, I suppose, and just in terms of you know you look at some of the upsets in the other games in, in this in in this um, qualification period, you know Serbia losing some games, and I know again it goes back to that point of are there NBA Euro League guys available, but but it, it is what it is. Um, so yeah, for us, I think sustained period. Have I got a, you know a, a distinction on what that timeline is? No. Um, I think that you know everybody within our extended group is is you know probably counting down the days to September first, twenty twenty two, when when Eurobasket opens, and hopefully we can go and you know we can go and um and, and give a good account of ourselves, and again turn some heads, and you know maybe maybe cause a few upsets. How much an advantage do you think the uh, sort of these new FIBA? I mean, they're not so new anymore, but the, these FIBA qualification windows have been for a country like Great Britain, where you know we don't have you know a bunch of guys playing at NBA or Euroleague level, so we're not missing a bunch of guys, and we're actually able to field you know our strongest squad essentially um, for every window, rather than you know the likes of a France or whatever or Spain who are who are bringing up you know other guys and have got almost use it as a as a run out for for, for this second team if you want to if you want to put it in inverted commas you know for, for this period like um do you think that's really played in our favor i i think that the competition structure has to be acknowledged for us i think it does um but i i would also just say that you know our focus has been us you know and i think my my learnings throughout the windows was that less is more and it's about consistency and continuity um you know i, I read something um, from Scoriolo after the, the 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 World Cup win, he did a bit of a review on it, and again he's talking about obviously the depth of talent that that Spain have, but it really was about him trying to get the best team and the best people to fill the role requirements of that team, and that's the Spanish who who have got that level of of, of player that you're talking about. So yes, I think that the competition structure provides opportunity for nations like ourselves. But again, you know, Montenegro played in the World Cup and and whilst, you know, they were probably, they were a few players down, you know, Todorovic, um, a couple of guys playing in the ACB, Euroleague, you, you know, they're still a quality team with that heritage. You were ranked where they are in the world for a reason. So you have to acknowledge it, Sam. And, you know, I think people on the outside do. Does the competition structure provide opportunities, not just for Great Britain, but maybe some other, some other nations who, who are where we are? Yes, and I think FIBA, in terms of how they've structured that, you know, I think one of the purposes was to, to, you know, to get nations like ourselves to get games on home soil so we can start growing the fan base on home soil. I also think FIBA have been smart in, you know, um, I guess, upsets happening, etc., that maybe might not have happened in traditional ways. And does that grow the game and grow interest? So, yeah, I, I don't want to dwell too much on that. But I think we have spoken about the competition structure provided opportunity for us because of consistency. And, you know, we've got guys playing at, at top leagues around Europe. And, you know, these guys are um, selfless and they sacrifice and they, you know, when they're struggling with niggles and it's the back end of the season, they 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 drop what they're doing and they, they commit to the team in an instant. So, you know, are they thinking about, oh, well, we can go and beat this person because of, you know they're missing guys. No, we prepare the way where 
you know, guys are in front of us. We do some advanced scouting and we try and, you know, devise a way for us to be successful. So you have to acknowledge it for sure. But, uh, you know, it's not something that I'll, I'll dwell on as such. When you talk about squad selection, uh, you know, just there, you mentioned continuity and the importance of having that consistency of a group. Um, does that factor in, in terms of thinking about not just the window that you're selecting for, but actually, you know, are, are the players that are saying that they, they're available this window, are they going to be available for the next window and potentially the window after that? And the ones that are potentially available for all three are the ones that are then going to possibly be prioritised, even though maybe there's a more talented player that's available only for one specific window. Like, how do you kind of weigh that up? Yeah, um, I think that's a million-dollar question. Um, I, I do, and I think, um, I guess, like anything, you, you try and learn through experience. And, um, you know, we have a you know, a group of coaches um, that and, and performance analysts that kind of weigh all of these ideas up. Um, that you, you try and get the balance of consistency window to window. Um, I think one of the most challenging things that I find within the windows is the opportunity for development as such, you know, particularly when you're looking at maybe some of the younger guys um, who are, you know, going to be the future these windows really don't provide opportunity to, to to kind of specify on that, to allow guys to play through mistakes. To You know, you're literally competing for like the playoffs in a regular season where, you know, most teams shorten the rotation, etc. So, you know, you, you're, you're literally kind of competing to win now. Do we want to have like a, a strategic overview where we're now looking and saying, look, we've got three windows, three competition windows, hopefully... Can we get together outside of a competition window um, to, to continue to build upon what we're doing? Yes, it's a part of it. You, you know, people will talk about uh, uh, positioning, you know, who is the next kind of GB point guard, who's the next GB big, who's the next... So all of these factors, who's available now? How do we, how do we succeed now? How do we get to where we want to be now? How do we look short-term over the next few windows? How do we look longer-term? So... I haven't. Got, I've probably done a politician thing there, and haven't given you a definitive answer, Sam. Because that, in my opinion, I don't think there is a definitive answer. I think that you have to be able to say what is our goal. Can you work backwards? Who realistically is going to be available, and what are the requirements of the team? Is that how we want to play? How can we continue to progress? Uh, and we kind of go that way. And and that's the hard part, I think, for players at times as well. Um, because it is, it's very nuanced and it's very layered based on um, all of those things: style of play, um, tactical approach, availability, uh, you know, acceptance of roles. You know, all of these things. It, it, so it, it's it's a it's a positive conundrum to have. Um, you know, I'm pleased that you know we've now established ourselves uh, as to as to as to you know being at this the next competition and. Yeah, I think it's definitely it's definitely going to take a little bit of time to to, to piece to, uh, piece together strategically as such. If if the program had more funding and resource, is that something that you'd like to see potentially? You know, like a, a sort of a, a, a training camp, if you want to call it that, or a bringing together where you can bring together a potentially a bigger squad for a longer period of time, where the focus is on development and sort of looking to the future and working out like you know, how things are going to piece together. So, because obviously the windows, like like you said, like you're coming together for how many days before you go into it and you've got two games. It's very intense. It's really, it's like you have to win. There's no, you know, there's no two ways about it. Um, 
But yeah, do you think that that is a potentially a happy medium where it's like if the program did have more funding and resource, you come together at some period of time for you know a couple of weeks, whatever it might be, uh, and then have those spots for potentially junior players to come through, get that exposure to the senior team, um, and then sort of be able to sort of piece together stuff for the longer term. Yeah, uh, abs- yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, we're we're kind of discussing that at the, at the moment, um, and it's something that we want to do. Uh, you know, you mentioned the keyword funding because you know that is the, that that's kind of the reality behind it. Um, I, I I think there would be significant value in them, um, and, and you know if you go back when um, to to the futures program and you look at you know some of the people on the futures program that played the way you know Cal uh, Johnson, you know he part of the futures program who played his way onto the Olympics because of you know that opportunity in that environment. Um, you know, we do we do watch players, we, we review players, we have a weekly update, you know, and, and we've got players playing far and wide, but you still don't know until you kind of can bring them together within the environment that 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 we want as GB. Um, you know, and, and, and there's so much of that. It's it's you know, not only kind of messages from coaches, but you know, learning from players, you know, learning from a Miles Hessen, you know, being around a Dan Clark, you, you know, learning from these guys within that environment I think is is critical because we, we try to do this you, you know and it's not a ticket but I mean Jacob Brown was in the last window you, you know uh, the previous window was was uh, Kareem and, and Cameron so you know we are conscious and purposeful in doing this but without a doubt that that kind of extended period of time when you had you know before the, the shift in the in the competition windows would usually be summer based so that you would have maybe that four five six week program where guys are able to kind of compete for spots you know when we get into the windows now uh, and this is just part of kind of being honest the reality is you know these past six games people are not necessarily competing for spots in practice we're competing to to put the best product on the floor and and you know the coaching staff generally have an idea of rotations positions how we're going to try and play to be successful so you know, I, I don't want that to be a negative for players to receive. It's just the reality of the competition. So we definitely need some some you know type of extended program where we can um, where we can you know really kind of evaluate, develop, and 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 kind of um, yeah give guys that opportunity that they're probably desperate for in that in that environment. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I want to, I want to pick up on. One, obviously, yeah, just just quickly on on the young guys that you brought in. So uh, you mentioned there Jacob Brown, Kareem Queeley, uh, Cameron Hildreth. When you talk about sort of them as potential future GB seniors, you know, as regular regulars and big part of the rotations and kind of the the role they have to play. What would you say about their their prospects? Um, how you feel that they've done uh, with you guys uh, in 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 that period? Um, yeah, and kind of any thoughts in general about about giving them that opportunity? Yeah. Um... I'll probably not talk individually about about them, um, and you know, maybe I'll maybe group the three of them together. Although you know, I, I don't want to be kind of um, unfair to them. You know, the three individual people. Um, I think what we've tried to do is give people that that exposure to what these windows are like, to um, you know, to kind of the, the the physical prep side, the loading side, the tactical scouting side, the you know, everything that we're doing. Uh, the three of them, you know, conducted themselves extremely well. Um, you know, they're professionals. They, they um, like sponges, you know, um, examples of, you know, was maybe, I don't know, looking at some five or no, and we'll go through three or four different things. And 
you know, maybe one guy ahead of them needs to step out for five minutes and the other person coming in and being able to, to kind of execute the same way. So, you know, that might seem something on the outside of our group that might seem something minor, but for us in the group, it's not. You know, it's really something that's important, particularly in the national team situation where, you know, you're ready to go because your role, in, you know, might be you've got three minutes here, you've got four minutes and, you know, regardless what you're playing at your club, this is the role that's available to you right now. So, yeah, you know, the three of them um, have been have been positive. It's, you know, it's been really, really, um, really exciting to have them in. Uh, you know, Jacob in the last window, he just I'll talk about it just because it's it's the most recent in my mind. But he, he was, um, he practised well all week. And, you know, whilst he played three minutes against France, you know, I'm looking at it and going, well, all week he's been on the floor practising, competing against the Teddy, competing with a Tariq, you know, understanding what it is that we're trying to do. And, you know, there is something about experience being the greatest teacher. And the next time that he comes in, does he feel more familiar, more comfortable in that environment? Is he? And that's what we're trying to do within, you know, within those younger guys. And we've mentioned those three. There are other guys out there. You know, yeah. we, we do kind of observe far and wide. Um, but yeah, we are, you know, I, I'm on those three. Um, I'm big on them. We, we've got to stop. Listen, there's a part of it and it generates interest. But like we have to stop in my mind understanding and putting pressure on and, and where's where's this person gonna be? Can this person get there? Like I get it, I get it, I acknowledge it. But from my standpoint, I think, you know, we wanna we wanna allow them to develop, we wanna allow them to grow. We want you know, as many as many younger guys playing for the G B national team in the future as we possibly can. Uh, and I make you know, just because we'd mentioned those three, I'm really I'm really excited to see their growth. And then the other thing I wanted to pick up on was the fact that, that, that you did mention there that uh, essentially, you know, during these windows, players aren't, aren't playing uh, to to essentially change their sport in the rotation, get more minutes. It's like it's, it's almost already set. Has that proved challenging, um, not just for you, but also for the players as well? Uh, you know, I, I, I would assume that, you know, when you're bringing in GB guys, there are a lot of egos, you know, everyone's used to being the man or whatever and, and they're all sort of coming together for the greater good and there's going to be some guys that are going to be playing more than others. Um, has that proved challenging? Has there been uh, difficult moments where, you know, players want to play more um, and they haven't been able to for whatever reason uh, because there are rotations that are set and then they haven't been able to prove themselves because of the, the length of the windows and the way that it's kind of working? It, it's, it's been probably a challenge for me but I don't want that to sound negative towards the players. And, th and that's only been like, a like a, I know it's oxymoronic, but I would say that's a positive challenge for me because people are practicing well, they're ready to play. And as you say, they are playing, you know, a certain type of role within their club. And that role kind of at this moment in time might not be available for what I see within the national team. But, you know, I can only talk to how people have um, excelled within our group and different people at different times, you know, practicing the right, you know, excuse me, practicing the right way, you know, really making sure that we are, um, you know, we're putting pressure at this element of our offensive focus or we're trying to guard something this way and then staying absolutely locked in, you know, from top to bottom on, you know, scout detail or, um, I, I don't know, you know, a, a key to victory, you know, communicating that consistently. So, all of these things, our squad is important, you know, and, and what I don't want people to perceive is, okay, 
we only rotated nine in this situation. So the other three were told that you're not playing. That, no, that's not the case. But players are very smart and they're very aware throughout the week. Sometimes, you know, you've got two different groups of players and you're rotating a certain way in the week. And, and you always want to kind of, you know, communicate as much as you can about, look, this is the role that we need you to play right now. So is it has it been a challenge for me? Yes, because, you know, I want people to to feel fulfilled from being in the environment. And, and a lot of players, you, you know, who are professionals, whose career are based around maybe statistical outputs, you know, that they're used to having that, that kind of um, responsibility and requirements on them. So, but that's not a reflection on how they are in the window. I, I Honestly, Sam, I, you know, I'm not just, it's, I've had six games, I've had three windows where I've had a group of people that came together, competed, and kind of committed for the greater good, and, and and that's the biggest kind of compliment that I can I can give those 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 group of people where, you know, it's really about the the, the outcome that we've got what we've got. So it, it's just one of the parts of I guess national team uh, national team basketball at this level underneath the competition requirements. Um, so it, it is something that's a factor. It's something you, that I that I consider, but from the player standpoint, you know, for me, it's like. Listen. Use this opportunity to, to 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 compete, to get better, to enjoy practice sessions. Be ready because you never know what happens in these games. You you know, stay ready. You know, different people's roles has, has changed slightly. You know, game to game. Uh, there was I've got you know you know if people were to go back and watch uh, different windows, you know, I might might have rotated, you know, a person here or a person there based on the feel of the game, the matchups in that game. So everybody has to stay ready. Regardless whether you you know you perceive yourself to be in the first five or outside of that, so it, it's it's a balance. It, it is a balance, and I'm not sure that I've got that right. You know, I'm not. It's something that I'll reflect on. It's something that I'll um, I'll continue to try and try and develop. Um, but I just you know having a group of uh, committed players with exceptional leadership within the group definitely makes that makes that a little you know the burden of that a little bit easier for me. Talking about staying ready, like of course the 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 big thing that we haven't spoken about here is that, of course that you were thrust into this role as as the head coach. Uh, you're essentially you you're, you you are the assistant coach. Uh, Nate Nate Rankings, the head coach, and, and at the start of what well, was it was the February window 2020, I believe. Um, you know, it was clear that he wasn't going to be available because of his uh, G League commitments, and kind of you were going to be given the nod. Like, there's obviously a bunch of different stuff to go into here. Um, but I guess starting with like when you first found out that you were going to be the acting head coach, uh, kind of what your reaction was, how how you felt about it, um, and and whether or not there was any, I guess, hesitation in your mind about whether or not it was something that you wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so I'll try. I'll try and answer it from. Um, you know, my my role from November twenty eighteen was an assistant coach, um, and. I was so fortunate in my, you know, in my kind of mind um, to be afforded the opportunity. Um, I, I, you know, I've always tried to be in and around the national team where, you know, personal life commitments have, have, have allowed the balance to do that. Um, so, you know, Mark Clark, uh, I think kind of, you know, and Lloyd Gardner uh, gave me the opportunity after, after the under 20s when, you know, some people in the previous administration, when I had to step down from a, from a national team, um, had said that I wouldn't be getting back in, um, so I, you know I can't explain to you how appreciative uh, I am of that opportunity. 
um, you know, I, I'd, I'd kind of stayed around as an assistant since then. Um, and, you know, I was very aware that, you know, my role was obviously to try and, you know, offer some input um, when when Alberto um, had stepped down and, and, and Nate came in. You know, I think there was an idea of, um, you know, having some consistency uh, on the staff. So so that's some of that, I, you know, I worked with Nate. I kind of, you know, I loved it. I enjoyed it. Like like every coach I've been around, I kind of tried to take, you know, take a lot from it. Um the, the board and Nate had been discussing different kind of opportunities and, and and different and rightly so you know with a program at this level I think different opportunities or different um, solutions to Nate not coming in were explored um, you know was that a coach you know a, a, another coach was it uh, myself um, I think different opportunities were explored and 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 collectively you know the decision was was kind of made um, for me to see that window through. So when it when it was presented, you know, I was asked for some time to kind of digest it, um, because you know I, I was fully aware of the level, but but I probably wasn't, you know, until <laughs> until you do it and you kind of you know you go through it. I was aware of the challenge, um, but being in the hot seat is different. You know, it is. I I, I kind of I, I've joked joked with a few of the guys at times. You know, being an assistant coach at this level, I, I love it. It's the best job in the world because. You, you know you're working at that level but you're offering solutions you kind of but maybe you don't carry as much as the burden um and i think you know if you i think gabe you know gabe was kind of uh, uh throwing throwing some some digs at me all this past week about you know maybe wanting to play poker with me because he could see some of the stress in me at times because it you know it, it is different but i think bringing it back to the point for that first window um i i digested it and um i felt that you know, if the group were, were okay with with me taking that role for for um, for consistency, um, and there would be like a collective responsibility and leadership throughout the group, um, then for the consistency reason, you know, you know, I, I, w- I would do it. Um, you know, it's amazing, Sam. Like, I don't care what anyone says. There's different. There's different people where there's like a self preservation thing. Like, there's not that with me because. It, it would have been easier for me to to say no and say no. I'll assist and I'll offer some opinion because I'm, you know, at the time, thirty five year old British coach who's only ever coached in, in Division One in England. Um, so, so I acknowledge all of that. I, I get all of that. Um, but when I digested it and when I'd spoke to everybody and you know Nate was offering his support um, and uh, you know I kind of said you know l- let's give it a go and see whether you know see whether we can kind of do it. So. Yeah, it was it was um and and going into it I tried to you know reach out to you know to Nate uh, I had a chat with Alberto about his experiences because he went from an assistant to head coach you know Nate had been an assistant you know head coach um so I tried to kind of reach out and and you know ask what I thought were good questions about what to expect any advice this and that and I think that it's good to do, to do that due diligence but the reality is, until you 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 live and you live it and you experience it, I don't think you know. I don't think you can be prepared for it. Yeah, I mean, you you put it there a lot more bluntly than than I ever would. Uh, and there was there was comments. I did see comments about you know like w- what level was Mark ever coached at? Like, how was he the head coach of the Great Britain national team? Like, did you see that? Did you did you hear that? Were you able to just tune it out, or did that stuff affect you, or or, or sort of doubt your ability in any type of way? Uh, yeah, I saw some of it. You know, um, I've got, I've got, I've got multiple kind of WhatsApp groups. You know, with different people here and there, and stuff gets, stuff gets shared. It's amazing, right? Everything's at the touch of your fingers nowadays, right? Yeah. Um, 
what I, what I have started doing is like throughout the windows, I've kind of I kind of deactivate my Twitter throughout the windows just because you know I kind of like to focus on the job at hand. Um, Sam, I, like I, I get it, I, like I do, I get it. I think uh, Mark Woods, um, you know, had asked a few of the questions before the first window uh, directly with me, um, and 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 I do get it. You, you know, I I would probably ask questions um, about you know the level that this person's been at uh, you know I, I do I, I get it and, and I'm, I'm self-aware um it was it was an opportunity that happened because of the situation uh it wasn't something that I tried to manufacture or said look give this to me you know it, it, it was um it was made as it was made so did it affect me reading stuff and seeing stuff no not at all uh I guess the learnings throughout the windows at times you know might have been um you know, might have been the most impactful thing, you know, or I guess, you know, I get, you know, cards on the table for, there was probably a training session where I thought, you know, did we maximise what we could have done in that training session? Because again, that session was what I thought we needed to be successful. But I think, you know, after the first window, the thing that I've tried to live and breathe is less is more. I felt like I tried to do a little bit too much in the first window in terms of inputting and instruction stuff. So, I felt like that's an area where, you know, I have improved. Again, there's other areas that I, I, you know, I would like to continue to improve upon. I think coaches, we always tell players, you know, oh, you've got to improve this part of your game, this part of your game. Coaches have to improve consistently. You know, you have to be reflective and, and I'll continue to do so. So it didn't, It honestly, you know, reading stuff and seeing stuff, it didn't impact me. Uh, you know, it is what it is. I don't, I don't particularly care about a lot of stuff. I think the biggest thing for me was... Um, you know, being able to lead a group of people um, at, at the level that they're at, you know, in, in whichever way, whichever way my approach to doing that was. And I felt that, um, you know, if I could do that with their support, then, then hopefully we could be effective. Do you feel like uh, there's any part of you that is sort of vindicated or able to say, you know, up you to all the doubters or whatever after now having secured that qualification, <laughs> you know? No. No, like, no, it's, no. it's, you know, it's amazing, right? Like it, the, the, <laughs> I, it's sport and, and it's under a magnifying glass and I, Sam, I felt the pressure like I did, you, you know, I'm not going to, not going to kind of BS anybody. I felt the pressure. Um, you know, if, if, if Luke's, if Luke's shot doesn't drop, you know, are people saying, well, he's only ran a zipper and a ball screen. Why hasn't he ran something? You know, like I'm sure that that kind of it, it's it's elite level sport, right? Like, um, so yeah, I think people are uh, interest in the game is good, right? Interest in the game, people talking about the game, people having opinions on the game. It's you know we need to grow the game. It's good. Um, you know, do you you know do you kind of acknowledge criticism from somebody who you wouldn't ask their opinion? You know, if I wouldn't ask someone's opinion about something. Do I care about if they criticise? You know, not really is the answer. So yeah, yeah, you know, I, I'm 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 proud of what the group has done, and I know I sound like a broken record with it, mate. But like that, that's how I've approached it. That's how I, um, you know, that's how I believe in leadership. So yeah, anybody who's who's had an opinion or, or you know has an opinion, you know, fair play. Uh, all I would say is, you know, until you've walked a mile in another person's shoes, maybe, you, you know, maybe that that empathy kind of perspective. Uh, kicks in how much did it mean to you uh when gabe came out in that press conference and and sort of basically went to you know went to war for you had your back after the 
I don't think that was the, I don't think the press conference was after the France game, but it was re- in reference to the France game, uh, where obviously that that was a heavy defeat, um, and he essentially just said, you know, I've seen we've seen all the comments, people making comments about the coaching and this and that, and like you know we as players have got to take responsibility and essentially you know you and and the rest of the coaching staff done everything they could and 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 the responsibility should be on the players, not not the coaches. Like how much did that mean to you to hear you know a player of of Gabe's stature on the team sort of you know coming out publicly. And, and showing that support for you. Um, yeah, it was, it was. How did I feel? Um, can I say that's Gabe? You, you know, can I say that that's the answer? Um, I've been so fortunate, Sam, to be around. Uh, you know, a group of people who have all got just incredible positive attributes in different ways, and and uh, you know, Gabe is probably the most professional person player that I've been around um he's got a unique ability just to to lead without talking um people generally generally sharing Gabe's success because of you know the the character of of the man that he is um so you know Gabe obviously in in the in in the Montenegro game where we you know Gabe kind of put us on his back and I can't remember what he stat like he finished maybe 27 28 I think somewhere around there I can't remember off the top of my head but he, he led our defense. I thought, you know, I thought he, he literally established our defensive tone, and you know, he, he, he caused problems all night, and he made big plays, um, and you know, he was he was instrumental in that game, as a lot of people were. Um, so for him to come out and kind of, you know, show a united front was was really positive, kind of for our group. Um, he actually pulled me after the the France game, the first one. He actually pulled me. And said like we've got it, you know. Don't worry, like we've got it, like we're there. Um, you know, there were some things in approaching the French game, like tactically. Uh, you know, I, I I think that you know I could have done better. Um, so you know, there is that part of reflection that I'll always have as a coach. Um, but I think for Gabe to come out and kind of um, yeah make make a statement about you know responsibility from from everybody within our group is how I interpreted it. Um, kind of showed the resilience in our group I think and the togetherness so yeah that's people talk about different things you know I, I, I'm not saying I need Gabe to say something nice about me you know winning and losing is important but for me it's Sam it is those those kind of um, I, I guess moments or relationships or different times that, that I probably I probably cherish the most about coaching you know at any level um, any level I've worked at so yeah, I, I haven't got enough positives about about Gabe and, and you know what what he what he kind of um, commits for the national team. I'm jumping around a little bit here because there's a few, a few different threads to go on to, but but how has the dynamic work the dynamic worked uh, with Nate? Um, you know, like how much communication is going on? Uh, how how involved is he? Obviously, he's not there physically for the windows. Is he watching the games? Is he speaking to you after the games? Is he telling you what to do? Um, you know, is he involved with the selection? Like, kind of, how is the dynamic working with the coaching staff at the moment with his absence? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things, like Nate, is our head coach, right? And, and I'm, um, I've, you know, seen Nate from a distance. You know, I think people need to acknowledge what Nate has has given to Great Britain. I think people need to acknowledge what Nate has given to Great Britain, and I think people need to remember um, his history with with Great Britain as a player, as an assistant coach, and taking on head coach responsibility uh, within a very like sh- you know like a needs must situation. 
And, you know, we don't, we're not in this qualification period if Nate doesn't maybe steer us through four games in, in Kosovo and Luxembourg. And you can talk about the level of opposition, Sam. I, I'm talking about, you know, Nate's um, contribution within that. And I think, you, you know, I really want to be explicit on people acknowledging Nate's uh, service to Great Britain. And, you know, I think people, you know, probably need to be reminded of that. Um, Nate's in a, in a situation where um, this is probably the, the job that he's he's what he's wanted for a long time and he's earned. You know, he, he has earned this job. Um, he, he's an incredible coach. Um He's, uh, you know, I've seen his ability to get players to um, to run through a wall for him. Uh, he's very intelligent, um, very experienced. So Nate is the head coach who ultimately kind of signs off on decisions. Uh, Nate has been, like, you know, if we're talking about player selection, etc. You know, these things, will, Nate and I will, and the other staff will, will discuss it. Um, but like any head coach, you know, Nate, Nate does and should have that autonomy. Um Nate has, you know, he and I have been through this process where we've probably learned about it as well because we didn't really know what it was. Uh, he's um, provided me with pretty much what I've asked for. So when I've asked for support with, you know, some, some I don't know, a situation or some ideas, he's offered it. He's also said, I'm not here in the windows to micromanage you. I know what's happening. I'm here if you need me. He's reaching out consistently throughout the windows. Um, he's invested. You know, he's communicating with the players. Um, so, yeah, I mean, does Nate want to be coaching the windows? Absolutely. You know, do the group respond to Nate? Absolutely. Um, that That's kind of, you, you know, it, it is what it is. So, from my standpoint, I don't feel um, like... Um, this is probably more a reflection on me than it is on Nate. I think in the first window, there was maybe a lot of me thinking like, oh, you know, what would Nate want? What would Nate do? But that's probably because, you know, like I say, that's probably more me as a person, not like a directive from Nate. And I think I got a little bit more comfortable over the previous two windows with having that guidance, him and I discussing how we're going to approach things. You know, he's watching the games. He's got his ideas on what we should be doing, exploiting things, etc. And, and we agree that collectively. And then when we get into the windows, I felt a little bit more comfortable in reinforcing those ideas um, without kind of thinking like, what what would Nate do as such? Um, yeah. There is a the, the sentiment now within the basketball community from numerous conversations I've had and, and, and things I've read and things I've listened to uh, is that there is, I do feel there would be a level of shock outrage that if in Eurobasket 2022 you w you weren't given the reins, um, maybe you're not the person to ask the question to because I don't expect you to say say otherwise. But like, you know, has there been conversations about whether or not you'd potentially be able to take the reins uh, in that in that um, in, that, in that major championship or? You know, is your understanding and the conversation always being that the moment that Nate's available, uh, he will be the head coach again, and, and you will revert back to being assistant. Yeah, I, I mean that—that's what I've, um, you know, to be kind of explicitly clear. I was asked to be a, whatever the title is, acting head coach, interim head coach, whatever for the windows. That's what you know. No one's had my arm behind me back and said, you know, you need to like that's the opportunity that that was presented. Um, we felt collectively that that was the most consistent thing for the group at that time. Um, and we've achieved what we set out to achieve. So that that's kind of my, my take on it. Uh, I was asked a question after the game 
uh, the similar question, and I imagine that the question might arise. I, you know, no, I'm not here saying I, I deserve this, I deserve that. You know, the, 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 the job in which the coaching staff have been supported by an incredible staff, the performance that I don't like the term support staff, you know, the, the performance staff on the medical side, incredible. The players just need to take the most amount of positives. Um, that's the job that I was asked to do. I was asked to, you know, um, see the windows through. So, yeah, that that's what has been made clear to me. There hasn't been any other discussion, any other dialogue, and I don't expect there to be. Um, you know, I, I am. Um, I've said it to Nate multiple times. You know, I'd appreciate it if he could be here because I want. You know, I'd like a little bit more sleep in the windows. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I age. I feel like I age a lot throughout the windows. So, um, yeah, that, that that that's that's kind of where it's at for me, Sam. Okay, makes sense. Just to go into some of the, the games, I guess more specifically, uh, starting with the with the most recent one, most recent ones um, this weekend. Like, I guess the France game. Like, when you compare the two games, just the the, the well, the, the results are obviously massively different, but also just the game in itself was was massively different. When when you look at uh, the first game against France, I think the opening quarter was. 24 to 5 or something you know insane like that and it was pretty much over from from that point on it was it was just done um and then this this game uh on monday yeah was it monday or sunday monday, monday. um yeah. it was only two days ago uh it was um yeah like obviously it was a completely completely different outcome different result looked like a different team what do you attribute that change to? What what made that difference when, you know, and you've already mentioned it yourself, but essentially France, if anything, you could argue had a stronger squad than they had in, in that opening uh, game with, with the addition of Hurtle. Um, but yeah, like what changed? Like what allowed you to have that, that you know, resounding result? Um, so so the, way, the way the first game went... Um, uh, you know that's what I alluded to before, um, and uh, there was there was um, there was one thing tactically that to start the game I didn't get right, um, and and we had to kind of make an adjustment, um, and and you know I felt at that point we were kind of um, what was that? What was you know, that? We were tactically? kind of caught, uh, we, uh, some defensive schemes, some defensive schemes, Sam. Um, so we didn't we prepared all week, and we we were trying to go, going into that window. I was absolutely focused on us trying to to do what we could do against France, but honestly, everything in my mind was us beating Montenegro by plus plus nine in that window. And I I'd um, I'd already had a couple of ideas in my head that things that I wanted us to to have against Montenegro, but not show against France. So, you know that that was. Um, a specific I was you know listen we're going to do this against France but not not to throw the game but just for you know for us to do a couple of things where I thought then we could catch Montenegro off surprise were we trying to beat France absolutely with the guys locked in absolutely um so there was a couple of things defensively that then didn't really help us and, and France exploited early on and then you know we missed a few chippies the ball didn't go in our defense drops a little bit and it just becomes you know, we kind of capitulate a little bit. What what I will say is, for thirty minutes, I think we won the next three quarters, not by great margins. And you could say that France had already kind of, you know, I guess put their put their foot on our necks, etc. Um, but I think that we did. You know, we started to kind of build some rhythm. 
there was so many things that people probably not aware. You know, uh, some of the players hadn't played for a while before that. That was their first game in six weeks. You know, kind of some important players at times. There was quite a few different factors. So it was about us trying to get that rhythm. And, you know, in my mind, people are talking about, oh, should I rest this person? I'm like, well, no, I think that we need to keep playing and keep understanding the bigger picture. Um, so, I, I, you know, in that window, my success measure for that window was beating Montenegro and getting the head-to-head. That was a success measure that I thought in that window. Um, so did I like how we started? No. Did I envisage how we were going to start? No. I thought that we would be able to compete and, and make it close. Uh, in the second game, you know, whether it's that kind of, you know, we've won two games, the belief in the group a little bit. Um, I, I just felt that defensively, we've got better and better each game. Guys trust each other more defensively. The disruption that we have, uh, we have the ability to play uh, different ways based on our lineups, based on who's playing the five, who's playing the four, who's playing the three, what our guard lineup is. Um, so I just felt that defensively, um, we we kind of were really disruptive. I thought, you know, offensively when we move the ball, you know, we get some paint touches and we share the ball well. No matter what it is that we're running, you know, we see the ball go in. I think we're a dangerous team. Um, so I don't think there's one thing to attribute it to. Um, you know, I think that 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 we did we did really well. Um, you know, really well across the board. You know, statistically there was I think we were 25 or 25 from the line. Um, you know, off the top of my head, I haven't got the stats yet. I think Ovi shot 82% from the floor, I think, in the second game. You, you know, he, he was just a, a match-up nightmare for them. Um, I think I think old Dan Clark, you know, out there, uh, out there like slogging with the five defensively, uh, which was which was good. Uh, you know, Tariq's defensive pressure. There was a spell in the third there in the, in the France game where the ball screen hurt us a little bit. And, you know, you're in the moment and you're trying to find a solution because they just what France are really good at is if they find something, they did it in the first game, if they find an area where they can exploit it, they'll just run it to death. And it sounds straightforward, but they're really good at kind of going through the options like a chess game. That, right, we're going to stick with this set and we're going to exploit you here, 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 here. And in the third, I felt that they did that just kind of with their middle ball screen set. And again, in my head, you're trying to ride it out with, you know, what's the what's the solution? What can we do? And, you know, I think at one point I'd looked round and I was trying to think of something. And this is what I love about our group, Sam. Tariq, who was on the bench, is up talking on a dead ball situation. I think France have scored five or six points consecutive. And Tariq's talking to Teddy about the same solution. And then Teddy's able to go and... And I know, you know, people might say that's not... But I think because of that trust in the group and because of that belief in the group... We're able to go and do those things. So there's probably not one factor. You know, we 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 played well across the board. We out rebounded them. We got to the free throw line. We shared the ball. Different guys got going at different points. Um, yeah. And in the game against Germany, obviously <laughs> we've got to talk about the the game winner. You mentioned it briefly uh, already, but um, when you talk about that sort of that final possession, uh, seeing. I guess the moment that you saw the, the shot go in, like you know, what was what were the, the sort of the overriding feelings uh, that you, that you had? You know, like there is no more dramatic way of winning a game, right? And I know, like me, I, I couldn't believe it. Like watching the game, I let out a big yelp. Um, it was just unbelievable. But yeah, like I would love to hear sort of your reaction uh, and kind of what you, what your what your mindset was, the intention uh, on that last possession. Uh, was that exactly how you drew it up? Like, what were you thinking? Um. So uh, uh, my mum, Sam, I've got to say this, right? My mum, 
she uh, I speak to her after the game and she's like, do you know what that was like? I says, go on then. She says, it was when you were playing in the in the Manchester Trafford League for under 13s and you hit a game winner. <laughs> I says, uh, uh, so I think anyone who knows me, I, I don't protest to be any type of player at any level. But anyway, it's, you know, parents have a, have a unique way of bringing things into perspective I think so you know like I love my mum God bless her but you know she was kind of um, um, under you know kind of um, describing it as the same as an under 13s passerelle game um, yeah what did, what did I feel uh, uh, emotion uh, relief um, joy uh, utter euphoria I was elated honestly I was elated I felt like the last two minutes I felt that even if you know we had a couple of turnovers, I just felt like defensively, honestly, like a sense, and you can't you can't quantify it, but stood there, you know, with the guys, I just felt we were like like a wall. I just felt like they had no solution to the defensive pressure. You know, I think uh, Ovi gets a steal and lays the ball in with a minute to go. I think you know Miles is steal on Benzing. Tariq was a brick wall. Like he just could not be moved. Um, I, I, I say this a lot. I mean, I know I know Luke kind of took a knock, went out and come back in. But Luke's people don't understand how good a defender Luke is, you, you know. And um, he's he's really kind of focused on that, um, you know, over the previous few years. Um, you know, uh, Bmock, you know, Ben is just an absolute dog defensively, and him being able to kind of uh, not necessarily at the end of that game, but consistently across what we do. So. Yeah, the timeout. Uh, we had a, a, what I would class as our bigger lineup on the floor um, with with Gabe as a five, Olvi as a four, and Miles as a three, um, and, and Tariq and Ban the ball. So it's weird. It's you know when we were practicing in the venue, um, I always think about which side we're going to be on because then that obviously impacts which side your timeout is because you, you then you inbound it from that side of the floor. So th- there was a couple of ideas. I had like two ideas in my head and one of the, we'd, we'd ran something similar uh, to, to that. And, uh, you know, any you know coaches and, you know, basketball people out there, it, it's a zipper ball screen. So it's not the most kind of complex of sets, but Luke is really effective getting onto his left hand. Um, and I think sometimes he's, he's tough to try and crowd in the ball screen and he can get outside. I actually, you know, they were in the bonus, and in my head I thought, you know, he might actually be going, you know, he might actually be going to, to the free throw line. Um, so I thought that, you know, there's sometimes with the zipper set, it's, you know, people think it's risky, particularly end game, in case you get a deflection and you're going the opposite way. So we had Ovi as a as a as a pressure release, um, and him and Tariq kind of playing either like a fake handoff um, if they took the first action away, but you know, uh, Gabe. Again, just, you know, what Gabe put us up initially on the possession before, um, doing what Gabe does. Um, but he set, a, he set a great screen for Luke. Uh, Luke was able to get open. Uh, you know, Ovi timed his cut to get his defender to get his defender moving. Set a you know, great ball screen. Miles was spacing on the ball side, so they couldn't really help. So all those things are great. But, you know, Luke made an incredible play that the guys trusted. And I trusted the ball in Luke's hand at the end. Um so, but yeah, it does, you know, it does make me laugh. I kind of, if Luke misses or, you know, anything else happens, you know, are people saying, oh, well, the set was simple or whatever it may be. So, but yeah, thanks. Thankfully, thankfully, you know, we were able to kind of, you know, execute and Luke was able to make a yeah, tough finish. One of the things you mentioned there was that, you know, again, down, down the stretch there, you felt like uh, 
you well, you guys defensively were, were were incredible, and I feel like over the years, and and this is probably prior to your involvement as well with um becoming involved with the coaching staff. It'd be interesting to kind of hear your perception of it, but the perception of the, the well, not the perception, but one of the things that consistently was happening with the Great Britain senior men's squad is always close but no cigar. You know, it was always these moral victories, whereas like. You just knew, no matter how much it looked like we were about to win, <laughs> down the stretch, just something would happen and we would just kind of fall apart and the other team would show their experience and, and sort of the veterans would come through or whatever and, and we would just fold. And I almost feel like in this window, that has slowly started to change where it's like, it's you. I, I feel like there's more security. There's a, there's a level of like, when we're up, it doesn't feel like it's always at risk. Like, we're always potentially going to lose. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's getting to the point now where it's like you're coming down the stretch and, and, you know, you saying that, that you felt confident that kind of like it was there. Like, I felt very much the same way where it's like, I feel like we've kind of got this. Do you know what I mean? We're not going to throw it away. Like, do you feel like that's something that that, is, uh, that has changed uh, and, and, and whether or not that's something that's potentially been focused on, whether it's with a sports psychologist or whether there's been discussions around the team around it or just executing down the stretch and ensuring that, you know, when you've got an opportunity to close a game, you're closing the game. Like, yeah, I'd just be interested in kind of hearing your thoughts about it and, and sort of the GB squad and how they've approached that uh, sort of end game situations and, and ensuring that they're pulling out victories. I think the, you know, what you'd said about that feeling end game, I felt like that, Sam, in, in the first uh, Montenegro game, I felt like that was a, and I think I'd discussed it with the guys, not in a you know in a way where we could have done this or you should. I, it, I think I'd, I'd spoke to them in the change room afterwards about that felt like a typical GB game, like close but no cigar. We were there and there was three, four possessions difference. So I think to that point, you know, at times though, though you know, there has been that kind of sense about it. Um, I, I've done that thing where people say, you know, or, or not one for cliches, and, and, and I try not to be, but on a, trust is built through consistency. You know that that's the only, you know, doing what you say you're going to do, being present, doing those. That, that's how you build trust. And defensively, I think that we've been able to do that down the stretch. You know that that Monte, Montenegro game away, and then you know the horrendous travel back, delayed practice session in Newcastle because of a bit of a snow. We played Germany. They go on a run. But we were able to get some stops down the stretch and make some shots. And I felt like we started to to, to build upon that and capitalise upon that. And, you know, we've done that. We we have, OK, the France first game didn't go well. The next game did. So, yeah, I mean, has that happened previously? Yes. Has there been a purposeful effort in terms of kind of sports psychology? Sports psychology? No, I'm not an expert in that. You know, I, I, I do. I'm fascinated by it and I read into it. And, I, I you know, I actually lecture a little bit in sports psychology. Um, so, I am I am interested in it. I think that it's that consistency and that mindset and what we talk about. And I feel what I'm telling you now, you know, my my kind of um, you know privileged position being around the players, they would say the same thing that they they absolutely trust each other defensively and they have an idea of where they're going to be and how they're going to get. And I think you know when people talk about uh, since I've been involved as a as a national team, you know, I think the fourth assistant on the under-16s back in 2000-something, I've always heard this thing about the British style of play and, the, you know, what is the GB style of play. And well, I feel that defensively, when we are as disruptive as we were, you know, for certainly for parts of that game, but in particular the last few minutes as well, I feel that's how that we kind of feed off each other. Um so for for me, the credit is absolutely on the players. You know, there's, there's a there's a factor of buying in. You know, any coach in the world can can sit down here and talk to you about or 
you know, we've generated this defensive scheme and, you know, we need to, you know, we did this and we limited this person. You, you know, I'm always, I always find it funny when coaches talk about, you know, oh, the scout was nailed on or I did a good scout there. I, I nearly swore I didn't. But like, yeah, no BS. That's your job. You should do a good scout. If you're not doing a good scout, you're not doing your job. No, I'm serious. You know, like I, I see you should do a good scout. But doing a good scout and the players going and executing it, that's where the, the congruence is and that's where the buying and the belief is. So for, for me, that honestly, the, the players defensively are absolutely locked in, trusting each other, leading each other. You know, so many examples of we can do this here, we can shade here, we can... And, and yeah, so have we turned the corner, Sam? I, I hope so. But, you know, the next window, if we lose a game, you know, it is what it is. I don't want the narrative to change. We'll keep building and we'll reflect and we'll kind of, you know, we'll keep going that way. But yeah, I do. I, like, I think the, the question is on the money. And I think, you know, as an avid follower, for, as I was for many years too, I felt like that. And I feel like, you know, if we can kind of continue to grow on that side and continue to develop on that side, I think that we're a, you know, we're, 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 a, we're a solid team defensively. One of the other, obviously, well, one of the challenging things I was going to say about this window was the fact that, uh, you know, we essentially lost two home games um, because it was moved to a bu- bubble situation. Of course, you know, with with COVID, they would have been played without fans anyway, so you could argue that, that maybe it wouldn't have made as much of a difference. Um, but I would just like to just kind of talk about... Uh, playing at home and obviously that game in Newcastle um you know for you obviously personally I assume it had you know it was, it's, it's a it's a real home game you know um like and it ended up being a great game and with an electric atmosphere and obviously the Eagles have done a great job of sort of uh ensuring that the stands were filled and you know there's the responses involved and everything else like can you kind of talk about that that as an experience um and, and how it was and, and how important you think it is to have these games in front of home fans to be able to build that connection between the GB team and, and, and sort of, yeah, you know, younger British players and British fans. Um, because again, it's been, you know, in the run-up to the Olympics, one of the one of the things all the time was the fact that, you know, how many home games we play next to none, uh, where now these new windows are giving us that opportunity. Of course, COVID has changed things slightly, but um, but hopefully in the future, that's what we're going to start seeing, is we're going to have these sort of regular, regular home games again, which are going to provide this amazing opportunity to sort of build that relationship. But yeah, I'd just kind of love to hear your, your thoughts on that that game in Newcastle um, and how, how you thought it was as an experience for you personally. And then, of course, uh, for the team. Yeah. Um, it, it was amazing for you know me personally, mate. It was amazing. Um, the yeah, like you say, you know, on a Monday night to kind of fill the place out. The, the people at the Eagles, uh, along with you know people at, at, at British Basketball, had worked really hard to get that game there on a Monday night um, in the way in which they did. So it, you know, all of that stuff was uh, on in the build up to it. I honestly wasn't thinking about it as much. Like generally, I you know you kind of focused on the game, but. I think there was a moment, you know, back at the hotel after the game, and I was like, I think this will be one to look back on in a few years and say, you, you know, pretty, pretty cool experience to to coach, you know, your you, you senior national team in your in your, you know, your adopted home city, um, you know, with you know my parents there, and I just, you know, to 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 win the game uh, the way in which we did when after, you know, we'd lost the tough one on the road, and you know, I think at times you know, in the past had had did we have that resilience in us to kind of bounce back and I felt that like that was, you know, not just a big moment because we won. It did keep our qualification kind of hopes alive as such. It really kind of gave us a springboard for the next one. There were so many kind of individual stories within it, uh, within the game as well. Um 
And I'm always conscious that, you know, when I say things in this, you miss things out. But, uh, you know, Carl Wheatle gave us a big spark in that game. Um, Ovi was just, you know, facing up their bigs and just really causing them some issues. And um, I know that, you know, he felt like that, that game was, was big for him personally. Luke Nelson, I think that was his arrival onto the scene internationally. Um, you know, DC was on one leg and he hit a couple of shots big down the stretch. You know, Mockford was back in for the, for the national team. Um, when he'd been out kind of for a while and you know he he just he's fearless right like you so there's all these little little kind of subpart I mean Andreas and I worked together um you know Sasha in the window gave us a spot Sasha was just a breath of fresh air gave us a spark um you know we just I mean like Teddy uh, people don't don't really talk about Teddy enough and it drives me insane because you know Teddy's an elite level point guard and the, the record that he's just equaled on Monday, is it 49 caps consecutive off the top of my yeah. head? I think it's 49. I mean, that in this day and age, are you kidding me? You know, that is just remarkable. Um, so, I mean, the, and the point I'm getting to with me, you know, me personally, all of these things were really important, but it does bring that back now where, you know, this, in a non-COVID world, the FIBA model of these games being at home will hopefully start to generate that. And, you know, can somebody... Okay, ha- have an interaction with a Teddy O after the game, and then you know it, you've got somebody in Newcastle or Liverpool or Birmingham or London or where, wherever the game is, and and it starts to generate that that level of interest in our national team, you know, because these guys, I mean, Gabe, Gabe Olashenko, the level he plays at, and and you know, the people are aware of him, or is it literally you, you know, kind of they're aware of I don't know the Manchester Giants big man at the minute because he's in the BBL, and. and you know, that's, a, I guess, a product of all these things. You know, there was the games that kind of got bounced around um, across, the, I think there was one at Northumbria back in the day against Macedonia, um, you know, with Lawal and Pops and those guys. And then there was the Liverpool game as well. So, you know, when, when these games bounced around, you know, does it help generate that interest? Yes. I guess it has to be in conjunction where's there's, where there's, you know, basketball hotspots. And for me, you know, on a selfish standpoint, Newcastle was was great. I know that the guys majority of them being Southern, you know, like um, the the Midlands lot will shout at me there, like the Birmingham lot, but south of Newcastle. But I think, you know, those guys like in, you know, they would probably want the same thing in London and, you, you know, to be able to play in front of friends and family. So I think that is a real positive of these FIBA windows. And hopefully over the next three, you know, we're going to be able to get the opportunity to, to bring the game back home and, and, and you know, hopefully generate some interest that way. So what what is uh, next for this Chibi group? Like, uh, obviously the the Eurobasket is twenty twenty two, not twenty twenty one. Is it World Cup qualifiers in the next window in November? Um, is there a chance that potentially we've spoken about it briefly in in this? But is there a, potentially a chance of of a coming together in the summer of some type of training camp to do the stuff that you're talking about? Is that being discussed, or or do you think that the next time we're going to see them come together and in action is going to be in the November window? Um. Yeah, so the next kind of competition is it's November, February and June, uh, which is the three um, World Cup windows. Um, and then that's the that's the Eurobasket year as well. So we hope for this summer. Um, I mean, we're not, we are like the, you know, the board um, are, are kind of looking at it, you know, um, and I don't want to commit to it because it's it's not it's not final there. But yeah. it, it's something that we really are trying, Sam. We want to do it. Everyone is really pulling in the right direction to do it. Uh, I don't know if that would include like you know all of our like current guys. You know some of the senior guys. You know there's different ideas on 
um, you know, how we make that impactful, the most impactful that we can for the program. Um, so, you know, we've still got like a long list of players that we're tracking. You know, we're always kind of looking for, um, you know, for, for, for the most, yeah, you know, the best available players to represent as we can. So hopefully we, we can get together in the summer, but, you know, we probably need to pull the trigger on that sooner rather than later when you look at, you know, availability and all these types of things. So, yeah, we'll have, we'll have to wait and see. But that's definitely one of the ideas before the, uh, the, three, the three World Cup qualifying windows. Cool. I think uh, I'm all out of time here. I think this is a perfect place to leave it. Like I said uh, before we started recording, I would love to get you back on at some point to actually do a, a proper career retrospective, talk about the, the whole Northumbria situation and the sort of your domestic career as opposed to just the international stuff. But, but this, I think, was timely just because obviously the window's just been done and I think there's a lot of interest in GB at the moment. So it's really good just to get to go in depth um, on kind of everything that's been going on over the last uh, year and kind of get a sort of behind the scenes um, look at all so yeah thank you so much for taking the time uh, again congratulations on all the success and uh, hopefully I will see you uh, very soon Sam thanks for having me I know kind of people say it a lot Sam but genuinely kind of you know appreciate what you do for the game and so on so yeah thanks for having me keep up the good work thanks for doing what you do hey podcast listener but you weren't expecting to hear from me again. Now that you've listened to the show, please take two seconds to take your podcast player out of your pocket and give us a rating and review on iTunes. It would be massively appreciated and goes a long way in helping us spread this content far and wide. Literally take your phone out of your pocket right now, uh, open up your podcast player, go to the Hoops Fix podcast, you'll see the option to leave a rating and review. Drop us a five star if you love it and uh, if you could take two seconds just to write a review as well, it would be massively, massively appreciated. Thank you and speak to you next week. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.